Hi, I'm Carl Blanks, co-founder of Conversion Rate Experts. Welcome to our podcast. This episode of the podcast is actually taken straight from another podcast called Web Payload. Now, Web Payload is all about how to build more successful sites. And Web Payload's John McPherson interviewed me about a lot of subjects that we haven't discussed in public before and we think you'll find interesting. Uh, John asked me about how our company works, how we acquired clients like Google, Apple and Facebook, uh, why we don't do Twitter and secret copywriting words. If you visit conversionrateexperts.com slash podcasts, you can find links to web payload and to a transcript of this podcast. Welcome, this is the fifth interview on Web Payload and today we've got a great guest, it's Dr. Carl Blanks of Conversion Rate Experts. Welcome Carl. Hello John, yep. nice, nice to be on your podcast. Fantastic. <laughs> Can you just tell people a little bit about your business and some of your hobbies and what you like to do in your spare time? Oof, yes. Um, my business is Conversion Rate Experts, that's the name of the company, and we we do we specialize in one thing it's uh it's improving web pages in a way that's like demonstrably better than you know than what the existing pages are so we uh we not only do we analyze a client site we look for opportunities we redesign pages and then we put our necks on the line by actually uh, scientifically split testing to confirm that we've genuinely grown the business and uh and so and so as a result, our whole business is involved around finding out exactly what makes web pages and copywriting actually work, what works, which which marketing techniques do grow a business and which um and which are just fluff. And uh and we've got some some nice clients. We've got uh we've we've had the privilege really to work with some of the world's most sophisticated companies. So um including Apple and Google and Facebook and Sony and and lots of companies that really are doing like the cutting edge um, of uh, the cutting edge of web design. Yeah, fantastic. What about some of your hobbies? Are you a workaholic or? <laughs> I'm a lot of things a holic, not alcoholic, <laughs> actually. <laughs> no, um, yeah, absolutely love conversion rate optimization and copywriting and any type of writing. Actually, I love love reading anything to do with. Uh, Anything, anything about people who create stuff. Um, so any kind of writing. Uh, I enjoy songwriting actually. Um, and, and like, I like listening and, and discovering songs with clever, well-written lyrics. I'd say as far as hobbies go, then they're, they're all kind of based around that kind of thing. Yeah. Fantastic. So you mentioned some of your clients there. How do you go about picking up clients like that? How how do you go? Yeah. Uh, this is a funny one. Um, by attracting them is probably the right answer. By uh, our company philosophy is that is that if we are the company that these these days, you know, anyone can find what they're looking for on the web. So we spend most of our time on being the company that deserves to have the best clients so we focus on having the the best team so we we pay much more than the industry um like kind of typical industry amounts for our team because we want the best consultants we want the best processes so we spend a lot of time um 
on actually building workflows and running the whole company with workflows to make it as efficient as possible. And, uh, and, and to some extent, not spending too long on, on marketing ourselves because you can only, you know, you have a company only has a certain amount of, um, a certain amount of resources and energy and money to put into different things. So our, if in doubt, we always tend, tend to spend it on making sure our service is as good as possible and, and getting wins for existing clients. Yeah, fantastic. How, how many clients, how many, sorry, consultants have you got working? Oh, I'd have to, I don't know off the top of my head. It's, um, I'm going to frantically look into Basecamp here. It's, <laughs> it's, I don't know. Yeah, do. The whole team is about, um, it's not particularly big, I think about 25, 30 people. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Is a blog part of your strategy for, um, getting these great clients or is that that kind of yeah we use in the early days it was um uh in the early days we started the company with a blog with a single blog post which was um 108 ways to use google website optimizer and uh that went viral and the next day we weren't even planning to be a consultancy actually the next day google someone from google got in touch with us and uh and said that he'd it was the head of uh google website optimizer itself and that's what our plans were and invited us to become one of Google's first consulting partners for for Google Website Optimizer, which is their split testing, which was their split testing tool. It's changed name now. Um, so in those, and that kind of led, as far as Pivot goes, we were thinking of just creating a training course or or looking to what to do with, our, with those skills we'd got. Because we'd originally, we'd previously worked in-house at a company where we tripled the revenues in one year. So we were quite excited about what, you know, our, what we'd, managed to do convert with conversion rate and uh and and with and with being able to apply science from my science background into into actually growing web businesses so we knew we had these skills and it was deciding what uh, what would be the best use of our skills both in terms of uh money and in terms of and actually doing what we enjoy because we we did some affiliate work and then quickly realized that we weren't actually spending our time doing what we loved, which was conversion. Mm-hmm. And so, so the, the consultant, the consulting did actually match up with it, you know, with, it was a, it was a business that we liked the idea of, of running and, and sticking at. Great. Great story. And actually, and, so, and, and, and yes, about the blog, we, we still blog. I mean, what is it about once or twice a month? Sorry, once every one or two months, I think we blog. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not very frequent. Yeah. We do it to kind of, keep it's like a reminder that we're around <laughs> although i'd say these days most of our clients come from word of mouth from existing clients so our as as we've grown the relative our relative dependence on you know the fraction of clients that we get from our, our yeah our marketing activities has decreased we probably blog now maybe at a similar frequency to how we've always have done even though you know so as we've grown that our frequency of blogging hasn't grown in proportion because it's a small world. So as long as you look after existing clients, then mm-hmm. you know, everyone knows everyone else in web marketing, don't they? Yeah, sure. So quick, um, you've got no comments on your blog. What's the reason? Is that just a workload thing you don't want to be editing? And <laughs> <laughs> We're used to. And uh, th- this is like people talk about focus a lot. And and it's hard to, it's hard to focus. People, you know... It, and the the thing that we always um a phrase that we use a lot is basically f- focus is 
most people think of focus as, right, then what am I really going to try hard to do? Okay, I'll really focus on this. But the reality is focus is about neglect. Focus, we say focus equals neglect. And so focus is, is not doing lots of things that are very good. If something's a very good idea, then you know, often not doing the very good ideas because you're too busy on the excellent ideas. And so there are lots. I think you could probably go across the company and find a whole load of things like that. So blog blog comments were were good. We had quite a healthy for a long time. We had quite um, a lot of comments for every blog post that we put up and we'd respond to them. And it was nice to have the conversation. But during one period when we were really, really like, you know, under intense pressure and overworked, we just decided that the blog comments were good, but not yeah. you know, one of the one of the vital few things that we needed. Sure. And so and, and, and across the company, you'll find just like a whole load of things that are that are cringe that we don't do. But you can't do everything and, you, and, and focus equals neglect. Yeah, sure thing. Twitter's the other Twitter's one of the other ones that people can't believe that we don't do Twitter. But again, um, you can only do a certain number of things well. And so Twitter is one of those things that we cringe that we don't do. But but similarly, in, in a funny kind of way, proud that we don't do because it takes a lot of mm-hmm. it, it's hard to neglect stuff and, and to kind of just not worry about that feeling that you should be doing something. Yeah. But you're not very addictive too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's make the case. Why why would people test in, in the very first place? A lot of people will be wondering why on earth would I test? I've designed the site that I you know I'm finished. You know, why why would people test? Um, the main one is because because testing is testing will teach you about what works and you will discover that lots of things that you had assume it would work won't testing is the truth um you know in the in the world of science you wouldn't dream of of taking medicine that hadn't been tested Mm -hmm. or you know every car or everything that you ever use has a whole load of you know the scientists continually working on production lines making sure that it's optimal um and yes web marketing involves um it's like a combination of the rational scientific side and the creative artistic side but i think still right now it's when you look at most websites they aren't they're entirely creative there's very little um rational measurement of what's going on and when you look at the companies that are successful with the websites they all they all carry out experiments and testing and tracking and so if you look at pretty much every hugely successful site then they are uh, they're doing things in a very uh, quantitative way, in addition to qualitative. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I know. I remember um, this must have been five, six years ago, and there was a the guy did a test, and it really opened my eyes. I think the guy just had follow me on Twitter. I just had Twitter now or something like that, and he simply changed that to follow me on Twitter now, and he got a hundred and seventy percent difference. And I really just did open my eyes at the time. I think definitely something in this. In this testing, um, absolutely. And the other thing to remember is, if you were like, um, if you were a salesperson and you could walk into a company and grow their sales on the, you know, by say twenty percent, then you'd be, you know, usually a hero yeah. uh, in the company. Yeah. And so this idea that you can go into a web business and you can make a change and 
and grow the business by, I mean, 20% is a modest improvement. You know, it's yeah. a lot of our clients, we've more than doubled the sales of. And so, and so, you know, having that ability to walk into a company, massively grow the sales and, and for it to be a permanent fix, you know, it's not just that you're kind of a salesperson driving around and had a good month. It's a permanent improvement to the business. Then it's quite, it, it is quite addictive. It is quite exciting being able to, yeah. to do that and then and then you end up yeah because of that measurement and the other one is that without testing you know a 20 percent improvement does take a long time most people who aren't aware of statistics aren't, don't realize why you know why you have to do split tests to measure something because it does actually you, in order to exclude all the other external variables you have to run uh, uh proper a b split tests so that you do know that it was your change that moved things we had one client where where they ran a TV ad on the same day that a page went live. And so their conversion rate plummeted because TV ads get lots of junk traffic or, or unqualified traffic. Yeah. And it was only because we were actually split testing that we were able to prove that we d- our new page did grow the business because even throughout all of that, yes, the overall conversion rate for the whole site dropped, but our page B outperformed the page A, on that d- on, which was the control, the existing one. So. So it, it's it's really really yeah, it's it's powerful. Powerful stuff. Yeah, no question. So for someone just starting out again, what would you, what would be the first thing that you would uh, test? The first thing I test is to find out why people aren't um, why people aren't converting on your site. So whatever it is that you want people to do on your site, then you need to find out why they're not doing it. Because yeah, if your conversion rate is currently five percent and you want it to be ten percent, then Step one is, okay, then those, those additional 5% of people who you want to be converting, why aren't they converting at the moment? Why aren't they buying at the moment? And people often go to best practices and say, oh, well, I hear big headlines that you know, have three major benefits of the product, that that works, or should we make the buttons different, or should we reword the call to action? And even though there's a, there's, there's a whole load of things that often work, and uh, we've even got the article I mentioned before, which is uh, which is on our site, um, which is conversion-rate-experts.com slash CRO hyphen tips. Um, and I'm sure we can yeah, I'll put the link in the show notes, can't yeah. you, at the end, John? But uh, and that's a whole list of, of things that often work and often measurably grow a business. But much more important is to find out why some of your visitors aren't converting at the moment and find out what it would take to convert them. And we tend to do that with survey tools and a whole load of different tools and techniques we have for getting into their heads and understanding exactly why they're not spending money at the moment. Yeah. Are you doing external um, user testing as well? We do. We do. Um, we do a load of user testing, both uh, uh we do it, it some in, in-house, we do some remotely, and then there are services like usertesting.com mm-hmm. that can, um, where you can just send it off for some random people or, or maybe non-random people to, uh, just to look through your site and to give feedback on where they got stuck so you can actually watch videos of people getting stuck on your site and not understanding what it's all about and not being able to find the call to action and stuff like that. Yeah, one tool I have used is Clicktail. Is that something that you guys have experienced with? That's an amazing tool. And We've used Clicktail a lot, yes. Clicktail is, it effectively, it's a, it's a little bike, bit like, um, 
the the in store cameras in supermarkets where <laughs> where you can actually watch a video of of the user's mouse movement throughout their visit, and you can see you can actually see watch effectively watch them being moving from page to page. You can also it's very good for form analytics, so you can see on a on an order form, for example, which fields people are dropping out on, um, and you can also build dynamic. Uh, check out funnels and things very easily with Clicktail. So it's, yeah, it's a very useful tool. Yeah, it's a great tool. Great tool. Does changing the button color really help, or is that a minimal thing, or is that something that can make a difference? Or typically, it's not something you'd leap at. It, I mean, it's so easy to do that there's no harm. But yeah, um, I tell you what. We, yeah, if you want, if you want to make your buttons effective, larger buttons tend to, you know, to a very minimal amount, but. But you want your button to be large enough to be noticeable. As far as the colour goes, you want it to be distinct enough from the rest of the page so that people can even spot it. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to be lost in the page. And and more important than those two things are the text on and beneath the button. So, for example, if you have a button on your site that says register now, then then actually the word register isn't what you what it's not what the visitor gets. It's what they have to give. Registering is actually a commitment it's work it's giving details there's no benefit in registering mm-hmm. so if you can reword register now to to be in terms of what they actually get out of it so you, if uh, depending on what your site is if it could be download your free report now or get started now or in 10 seconds you can have access to dot 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 whatever it is then you'll i think almost definitely get a significant improvement just from that change. And then also things like um, on buttons, um, reducing the, you can get a great, great wins from putting reassurance just beneath the button. So, or, so in things of, in, in terms of risk reduction. So for example, you might want to say to remind them that uh, cancel any time. If it's a SaaS service, then um, by putting that underneath the button, that helps uh, often, um, mentioning the guarantee or that there's no commit, like anything that reassures them that there's no commitment, things like that beneath the button or beneath the call to action in that section anyway, that can have a huge difference. Yeah, I notice you're using the word now. Is that a little bit of a secret, <laughs> a secret word, or it just prompts people the word? Yeah, it, a secret's probably a bit strong, but it's 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 good. It's it, it it's it's often. Um, and again, again, there's there's two levels. There's the actual, like, there's the word, and there's the underlying function, underlying function of it. In the same way that if you went into a mechanics uh, workshop, there's all these tools on the wall, but each tool has a certain function. It's easy to forget with when you're writing words that each word or each phrase has a specific function. So it's not them. It's not about now being a magic word, but it's about that now makes people realize that there's going to be instant return rather than a delay. Mm-hmm. And so it works best in situations where where there's a possibility that it wouldn't be instant. So if you say download now, then that can often help because the, the word now is is reminding people that it's not like they're not going to have to go through loads more rigmarole to get what it is that you're offering. Sure. And that's and that's one thing I think hardly anyone who Actually, yeah, it's not overstatement to say hardly anyone who even does copywriting 
understands that each word is like a tool in the in the in the mechanics workshop and that each word has a particular function so there's no magic words in the same way there's no magic tools you you would only get out a monkey wrench if you need something that monkey wrench specifically will do you don't get out a hammer unless you need something that needs hitting and so in the same way there are lots of very effective words but but only effective when there's a particular job that they need to do mm-hmm. that so i guess there's no there's no secrets really you'd have to test that is that that's what you're what you're saying the word now it might make no difference at all but there's a chance it might you just need to test no I, no beyond that i would say you need to know what it does and use it in situations when that is an issue so for example um here's a here's a good example Negative headlines are good. But what, what, what do I mean by negative headlines? A negative headline is, for example, if you were selling a CRM system, and you had, and you saw so your site said, "Download our free report: Seven Mistakes You Should Never Make When Specify When Choosing a CRM System for Your Company." Now that's what we call a negative headline. It's not offering benefit. It's actually about avoiding losses and negative headlines work really well in b2b and the reason for that is because that kind of maps on to what the visitor actually is already thinking so most people who are buying software particularly like big decisions for their company if if you were making a you know a million pound decision for your company then the main thing that's going on in the buyer's mind is, I don't want to make a mistake here because if I do, I'll lose my job. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the main, uh, if their mindset is about not making blunders, then a headline that is about not making blunders will resonate with them. As, as There's a famous um, copywriter from years ago called Maxwell Sackheim, and, and he, he talked about... Um, you know, entering the conversation, entering the conversation that's already happening in the prospect's mind. And so, so to some extent, you, you have to do that. And so, so that negative headline often works in a way you could call it a negative, you could call it like a magic phrase or a magic technique, but it's only magic in that it does a particular job in a particular situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Great stuff. So we're getting towards 25 minutes, but I've got another few questions. Um, you're hiring. What are you looking for someone? If anybody's listening to this and thinking, this sounds fantastic, what are you looking for in someone? A lot of things. Our um, We've got a whole load of different criteria, but the things that make a good um, a good conversion marketer are, and, and, yeah, and we are... Um, Finding good conversion marketers is one of our main, uh, it's one of the main things we do as a company actually. So if any of, if your listeners are, uh, interested and, and would like to know more and, and feel that they might have these skills, then we'd love to hear from them. Um, the first one is someone who has a track record for growing businesses with conversion. I know that's an obvious one, but not many people do. Lots of people write articles about conversion but have never run a split test in their lives. <laughs> so the first one is actually have proven that they can do this, because realistically, if you think you can do this, then there's nothing stopping you from, you know, from getting wins. And that's the main one. So I'd say that if someone wants to get good at this, then 
uh, get some wins, even if it's on, you know, I don't know, on your own site or mm-hmm. do it as a favour for someone else. But you need you need to firstly prove that you can do it. Um, good conversion marketers tend to be sponges when it comes to learning about techniques because you do need to learn a lot of stuff both about conversion itself you know the tech the kind of i've just given you a few examples of things that tend to work but there are hundreds probably thousands of things along those lines so you need to be a sponge in terms of learning direct response marketing techniques and copywriting techniques and you also need to be a sponge when it comes to understanding the site that you're working on so so we look for people who when they're working on a client's business, that they become obsessed with what the client offers, about the client's marketplace, about how the, com- the client makes the product, about what's possible, and just really just becomes uh, very quickly knows as much as the client does, or sometimes more, about the client's marketplace and reads all the user guides, uses the product themselves, or you know, uh, uses all the competitor sites, all these kind of things. And so you end up in a situation where you have a huge advantage over the rest of the marketplace because because you know the opportunities and you and you know enough techniques to know which ones are relevant. Yeah. Um, that's just two things actually. There, there are lots of lots of things we look for, but I'd say they're two core ones. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for someone. Look out for my submission. <laughs> it's great. It, 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 yes, please. <laughs> it's um, it's it's a great. And the other one is that. It's a, as far as life skills goes, it's a really good life skill because being able to, at school you get taught how to write. And, and weirdly, things that they don't teach you at school are how to write in a way that people will understand because they never, at school I never was taught how to do usability tests or intelligibility tests, how to, get someone else to read out your writing and to point out the things that they don't understand. In fact, if anything, school is about writing in a way that makes you sound really clever and no one can understand. And if people can't understand, then <laughs> kudos to you for writing in a way that's so bloody opaque yeah. that that people don't even know what you're saying. So so, so that's one thing that's dead important is, you know, it teaches you how to write well and how to write persuasively because there are a whole load of things that 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 it's worth knowing as a life skill in terms of how to put together um, messages, how to put together sales messages that make people do what you want them to do, which is often by, because um, that sounds very selfish, it's often by actually framing it in terms of their own self-interest. So there's a whole load of really useful skills that convey over to everything. Every time you write an email, you're largely trying to persuade other people to do things or justifying what you're doing. And every time you speak to anyone, there's, there's, there's very often situations where you're trying to get collaboration with people and trying to win people over to, you know, to, to work with you. And so I'd say it's a, it's a very valuable skill. Absolutely. Yep. So last question, Carl, and it's very open. (laughs) What have you learned from a recent project? I think one of the um, recent projects, I mean, because we've been doing conversion so long, I'd say quite a lot of our insights lately are in terms of how how companies, how the best companies get things done, because there's a huge difference between, I'd say most marketing managers know what they want to do 
and they've even got rough ideas of what techniques they want to be using. But what they are weak on is knowing how to prioritize and knowing how to actually get things implemented in the company. And so I'd say most of our interesting findings over the last year or so have been in studying in studying how efficient companies get things done and what the most effective ways are of um of 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 accelerating a company by you know by several or like by an order of magnitude even yeah. and so um there's a lot in the areas of value stream mapping and lean methodology and agility to learn about how to take a company that's kind of dysfunctional because so many companies are aren't they when you mm-hmm. when you work in a company and not, and everyone's busy but nothing actually gets finished we, we've learned a lot in terms of in terms of how to make a company more productive i suppose on un, constipating them um and and i'd say if there's one thing that's really really valuable and it and and uh scrum embodies this mm-hmm. principle it's thinking you know, how could we turn this current project into what you might call a micro project how how can we take whatever it is that we're doing today and what can we ship by the end of today what can we launch or publish by the end of today yeah. so ra- so rather than saying well we've got a website redesign it's huge and it's been going on for 18 months which is so common mm-hmm. is reframing it as how can we chop this project up into small enough bites that that we can make you know, a thousand tiny footsteps rather than one yeah. thousand foot footstep. And, that, and that's really, really powerful. And it's so hard to spot when you're making that mistake because it's because most companies are so entrenched in that way of working that it's like it takes quite a lot of constant prompting. But if you can think of what what you're working on today, which tiny bit of it can I actually get live by the end of today? And then and then the next day, you know, doing that iteratively then it can make a huge difference to a company's productivity, we find. Yeah. Fantastic stuff, Carl. We better um, end this. This We've just gone on to 29 minutes. So thank you very, very much for coming on. That's been fantastic. There's a lot of great stuff in there, Carl. So thank you very much. How do people keep up with you? The best way is um, is if you go to conversionrateexperts.com and it's hyphenated, and then on, on our nav bar, there's a button for for learning zone where we offer some free reports. And when you get those free reports, firstly, they're really, really valuable. Um, a couple of them actually show exactly how what we did to grow a couple of clients businesses by more than twice, more than two times. And uh, but also in doing so, you'll get onto our uh, email newsletter, which we send out not as often as people would like, but still. It, there's, there's still some useful so um, when we do it it's 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 stuff that we um we think is really really valuable and obviously you can unsubscribe at any time imagine if you couldn't <laughs> <laughs> fantastic stuff thank you very much Carl. fantastic great to speak to you john thank you you can find a transcript of this podcast via conversionrateexperts.com slash podcasts while you're there We've got valuable free reports you can download. You can subscribe to our newsletter, read our articles, and there are also many tools and tips you can use for free to increase your website's profits. If you listen to this podcast as a one-off, you might like to subscribe to it to hear more of our talks and seminars. 
and you can learn more at conversionrateexperts.com slash podcasts.